This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the movie One from the Heart, a comedy musical directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And wouldn't you know, we reviewed one of his movies last episode. So instead, we're going to watch La La Land with our good friend, Brianne Gobeski. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of Cinematic Respect. My name is Charlie Wallace, and I'm your first co-host. And I am your second co-host, Jessica Clares. Oh, and do you like the mood I've set, Jessica? Yes, it's rather jaunty. Yes, I feel like we need to get into sort of more relaxed, sort of NPR-style <laughs> voices for this. But uh, I, I don't know if you love jazz as much as I do. I didn't realize that you loved jazz I, at I'm all. I'm a huge fan. Uh, so I like to explain to people what to think about jazz or what pictures to have in their head. I feel like it's a desert wind coming over your face after a cold winter day or it's it's like a painting it's like a Renoir but with a Jackson Pollock thrown on top of it and then somebody coming in and throwing a bucket of paint all over it and listen to the tr- listen to the trumpet can you hear it <laughs> it's the most wonderful bird music you've ever heard in your life I cannot look at you while you're saying all this <laughs> well uh, luckily we haven't listened to jazz together so <laughs> Yes, luckily. That's how we're friends. (laughs) So I displayed that as a demonstration of one of my big movie pet peeves is just where people try to explain what jazz is (laughs) via metaphor. As if we couldn't understand, oh yeah, it's good music. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't get it, Charlie. (laughs) Well, you probably couldn't tell from the intro, but this week uh, our guests chose to watch La La Land, the 2016 almost Oscar (laughs) <laughs> Best Picture winner. And uh, that movie was chosen by our guest, Brianne Gobeski. Welcome to the podcast, Brianne. Thanks for having me. But you said we were watching La La Land. I thought we were going to watch the Lego Batman movie. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> there, you know, there's got to be some overlap. Is there I any jazz in the Lego Batman movie? Because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> there is. Well, there is music. <laughs> the, he does have his own theme song. Would you yep. describe it as, as Pollock on top of Renoir, though? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, when we get to talking a little bit later about the casting, maybe we could have cast Will Arnett in the lead role here, right? <laughs> I've seen him singing and dancing. He's tall and lanky. They're interchangeable, right? <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, in all seriousness, we did watch the 2016 Insta classic la la land that's good up for debate <laughs> um but it stars both uh ryan gosling and emma stone as sebastian and mia respectively uh and they both are very passionate they both have dreams they're young they're in la uh she is an aspiring actress and he is an aspiring uh jazz pianist or i guess he is a jazz pianist but he's trying to open a club or or kind of preserve jazz because not enough people understand what jazz is, nor it. do they appreciate it. I feel it. <laughs> it's, it's just too bad that he didn't know you. Because um, <laughs> then maybe he would have felt better about it. But basically, um, they are drawn together and kind of help each other work towards their dreams. But circumstances, um, challenges in life kind of pull them apart. And it's a little bittersweet. And so besides that, it is mm-hmm. an homage to the... Uh, bygone pl- era of, bygone of era of musical music and movie dance productions. numbers you know yeah. a la fred astaire ginger rogers and for those reasons it was an extremely well-regarded movie in hollywood at the time and still is i don't know maybe it just gets props for doing a, a noble attempt yeah and i, I mean when was the last time we had that. a noble attempt i'm actually trying right. to remember <laughs> Which is interesting because I actually think they could have done even more at that noble attempt. They tried, but I thought they could have done so much more to be able to have that homage. So, Brianne, I guess we should start with what do you expect from the movie? Did you have expectations? It sounded like you might have been a little bit trepidatious about starting this one. I, I was a little bit. I The big reason why I hadn't watched La La Land before was because I'm a huge fan of the classic musicals. I grew up watching them with my grandmother and my grandfather. Um, my grandfather sounded just like Bing Crosby when he sang. And I just grew up with all these classics, the Gene, uh, Gene Kelly, Ginger Rogers watching Singing in the Rain. And when I heard that La La Land was supposed to be homage to that, 
I wanted it to really hone in on those musical types. And so that's what I was expecting when I was going into it, something that was modern, but still had that same feel of those classic musicals that I loved and cherished so much as a kid. Is there any particular thing about this movie that struck you initially that, oh, maybe this isn't going to be exactly what I'd hoped it was going to be? Well, I was very impressed at the beginning. Um, I really liked the opening number, the number of the girls singing in their apartment. I loved um, the dancing and I loved all the choreography and the themes that they were starting with. Where it kind of started to fall apart for me was kind of the observatory. Okay. I can see what they were trying to do with trying to have that abstract, long musical scene, but they didn't go far enough. And I then I thought that they kind of hindered themselves by using too much of the 2000s or the modern day um, cinematography. And had they had kept it more classic, I think it would have been more successful. And that's kind of where it started to go downhill for me um, as far as what I was expecting from that type of a movie genre. I can definitely see that because my favorite part of the movie as well is probably those first two musical numbers. I so I still personally enjoy the rest of the film too, but it's those first two. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that it's a lot of professional singers and dancers and really long one take. Well, that's what shots. I was. That's what I actually had written down, especially for the the opening opening number. Was that unlike some of the musicals or whatever, they really took advantage of the, like a single shots, these long right. single shots where you're maybe tracking with one individual and then pick up another individual and then but it just keeps going. Right. And so I can't even fathom how long it took to capture. I read up a little bit on that last night and I the first musical number which is called Another Day in the Sun which is the song of the, oh, yes. at the beginning and mm-hmm. so it's oh, it's yeah. basically all of these LA commuters stuck in traffic getting out of their cars and singing this musical number which I actually have a clip of so I'll play that first all right So it was actually done in three different shots, but the way that they tied them together was, at least in the first couple of musical numbers, they did a lot of fast panning shots. Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, a very natural place to put a cut where people won't notice it. So if you're panning like 180 degrees really quickly, Mm -hmm, I'm trying mm -hmm. to remember what that's called, like a sweep pan or something like that. You could make it up. This is your moment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know, it was an interesting article. I'll post it on the uh, blog post about you know, all the different types of film they use mm-hmm. and the, the cranes and stuff. It's a, probably a little bit technically geeky, but... One of the awesome things about that camera shot was if you looked all the way down the freeway, they still had people dancing the exact same choreography, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody was dancing the choreography, which is very similar to a lot of these big new musical numbers, even if you see them on stage. That's the company opener. I mean, it's the huge one. It's supposed to catch your eye. What I also thought was awesome is that there was also the token guy that doesn't know how to do the choreography that was just standing in the middle of it (laughs) like dancing his weird he was just kind of like grooving (laughs) and i I pointed that that out i'm like there is always one guy there's always that one guy that they can't teach the choreography and he's just sitting there and he's probably you know he's got the great voice but he can't do the dancing (laughs) even has that element in it um so it was just so really just got myself going it was very footloose-esque um, them dancing on the cars, all the choreography. It was just, I really enjoyed that number. And it just was very well done. Right. And the very end of that clip, they they open up the back of the truck and there's a four-piece band playing band, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I thought fun. it was very impressive. Yeah. It, like you said, it was in terms of an attention getter, I think it did its jobs. Um, and I also liked, um, I know we're going to kind of delve into this more, but I really like that it introduced the color palette that it felt very much a little bit like older, older musicals where the colors were very bright and very primary colors. You know, it felt, you know, Technicolor right. <laughs> esque. Yeah. And if you notice what I really liked was not just the bright colors, but they were all solid. 
really that that theme carries. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think it did a really good job. Like I said, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more, but that's where it started. And I noticed that right away too, Mm -hmm. like the solid color, bright color, primary colored clothes on everyone all the way down the freeway. And and we, uh, we go from that musical number directly to Emma Stone, who's in her car practicing lines for Mm -hmm. an audition. And then Ryan Gosling behind her honking his horn because she's not moving. And he, his color palette sort of this brown dark like, colors dark colors yeah mm-hmm. so browns I thought it was, blacks grays yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i thought it was an interesting way to contrast them immediately the first time you see them I and mean, besides the fact that he or she gives him the finger as he drives by <laughs> well i, I liked, guess that's a little contrast i like that they too. had her in a prius and they have him in like an old i don't even know what what year that car vehicle was supposed to be perhaps 70s ish type yeah, vehicle yeah. and he's using a tape deck which i was just like oh my gosh that's amazing and it's not just your tape deck it's the kind where you can't just like press rewind and like let it go like you have to hold the button down like, yeah. well, I don't know, because I, I mean, that even to me is like, a, I remember that from being a kid, like <laughs> having to do that. What I thought was also neat is as he's rewinding it and playing through that same section, which you hear that theme repeated throughout the movie, mm-hmm. that I've done that so many times when I'm practicing my music, I rewind and replay, rewind and replay, rewind and replay, rewind and replay. Re- I mean, and I'll do it while I'm sitting in traffic on my way home. So I kind of felt I was like, oh, I do that too. All right. Awesome. <laughs> they got one part right. So, so, so they got you at the beginning. You were okay. They did. Okay. I was. I was very excited going right into the apartment number with Emma Stone's roommates after her auditions. I thought also very well played as far as the progression of music in a musical is also the same way that they were progressing with this movie too. Well, and I liked that it did seem inventive, you know, and just like you said, in those first few numbers, you kind of see, okay, this is how they're going to do the cinematography. This is how um, I liked their transition from scenes to scenes, like how you see them show up at parties or her kind of like, um, there's a point at which she goes to leave the party, I think, but like everybody's, um, well, initially they're kind of frozen. And then some people, some couples or some people are moving just very slowly and it just kind of lets her kind of drift through everybody. And then poof, it picks up again and you have, you know. I felt like that was a little bit of an homage, like, hey, we're going to insert some newer technology or some newer approaches to how we're going to film this and, and tell the story, but it's still with these big numbers. And I thought that the choreography at that point was really clever because it, they were just slow dancing. So it was like the ballroom dancing style, slow dance, and that was supposed to be like slow motion. So using the choreography instead of using camera to get that same feel, I thought was really neat. And then the whole company was starting to do the big dance over by the pool. But what I felt was kind of sad was that all of a sudden the camera moved really, really fast. Yes. And you couldn't see the choreography. The cam- It wasn't just that the camera was moving fast. It was... I, I don't know what the right word is. It was definitely being touched digitally. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like yes, it definitely. wasn't. Yeah, where you're, you're like, oh, okay, you've kind of you, you've killed it now a little bit. It's I don't know. It's <laughs> reminiscent of like going to see like Star Wars Episode One. You're like, oh, you can really tell these parts are animated. Like it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, and yeah. some, at least for me personally, with some of the singing, there's definitely certain people or whatever that you're like yeah you've been you've been auto-tuned <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, 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 your imperfections have been smoothed out <laughs> i think you get that a lot more with more modern day stuff because so many things are so high definition even with sound that you're going to get a lot more of that auto-tuning just because of the nature mm-hmm. of the technologies nowadays but i agree there was definitely some people that were like oh that wasn't natural yeah <laughs> right right but then you go from these Two big numbers, and you don't really see anything like that again. Not musically. They do a lot more dance numbers, but they don't do as, like, with singing and whatnot. I mean, actually, from that point on, do you hear anybody else sing except for Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone Uh, after that point? John Legend does sing in that jazz revival sort of band revival that's probably not the best way to explain it it's like the messengers i think that was their name um but for the most part yeah it's just them singing after that point and i was i even said i remember saying to, to adam while we were watching the movie that is this going to be one of those movies where all of the supporting actors are going to have better voices than the actual lead actors Adam Gobeski, who I am actually married to, for those that don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or I was expecting to get more music from other characters because they were, I was expecting them to have the better voices. Yes. You know, your supporting roles. And then it just like, they they didn't. 
and it only focused on them. I was surprised by that too. And like, I, I actually, I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I'm not saying I think it's excellent, but I had very low expectations going in, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And so I was like, okay, no, this is, this is all right. So, you know, whatever. Like, Emma Stone in particular, I find oddly charming. Ryan Gosling, I think, is totally like over. Overrated. Know. Overrated, yes. <laughs> I, I feel terrible about like just being that bald. But yes. Like yes, I <laughs> I'll just think say he's it. overrated. He's overrated. Thank Jessica. you. <laughs> um I don't know. I guess I just think with all of the talent that's out there and all of this amazing singing ability that is available to you, and they were clearly like they were them, you know, maybe slightly auto-tuned or things like that, but they weren't belting things out because they can't. Like right. that's not their I don't, that's see, not their gift. <laughs> see, I don't agree with you actually. Oh I think they could. I think they actually could, because if you listen to Emma Stone's song there during the audition, she belts that sucker. And the problem is, is that they didn't write the music for the actors. It's like they put the actors into the role of of the music itself, because Ryan Gosling actually has a very good tenor voice. When he kind of got up there in the higher notes, his vocal sound was, I thought, awesome. But then they kept giving him this bass and baritone music that didn't fit well with him at all, which is probably why they had to auto-tune him because he can't get down that low. Which is absolutely hilarious because there's that whole part at the at the end where Emma Stone does that audition and it's it's her role, right? They're making that part for her. So why couldn't this movie do that with their actors, right? Well, what's interesting is I think that this role was supposed to go to Emma Watson, but she was doing Beauty and the Beast at the time. So then Emma Stone was their second. They put her in the role. They called in all of their Emmas. And (laughs) this was like, you're like, well. (laughs) Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. No. She was next. You know. She was next on the Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We really, we really didn't want anybody British. Oh, wait, no. Emma Watson is. Oh, no. The whole thing's falling apart now. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We can't justify it. And I actually have a small. um, I like Emma Stone because she is from Arizona. Um, She's. Uh, went to school in Phoenix. And so it's kind of, it's neat to see a fellow uh, Phoenician um, or an Arizona and that's made it big. And I wish that they would have given her both, not this breathy song. Yeah. Like, I think that that's how she is. But then when she did that last song, I was like, oh my gosh, she's got it. But then again, and this is the vocal training in me, she breathed, everything she was breathing from was from her chest and she wasn't supported. I can't even imagine what her sound would have been like had they had gotten a vocal coach in there to really show her how to utilize her breath support. It would have been phenomenal, but they didn't take advantage of it because I think she's got it. I don't have a clip of uh, her singing at the end where she's belting out, as you're saying, but I do have a clip that has both Ryan Gosling and her singing a duet at uh, piano in their apartment just so everyone out there can get an idea of the the voices that we're talking about. Yes, all we're looking for is love from someone else. A rush, a glance, a touch, a dance, a look in somebody's eyes to light up the skies, to open the world and send me real. A voice that says I'll be here and you'll be To my untrained ear, it sounds like there's parts of that that work and parts of that that don't. (laughs) Well, and I've had so much experience with tenors singing music that is not meant for them, and they're called growlers. Um, (laughs) I've heard people call them. Like, it's because you have to really get into your lower register, and it's just not meant for them, and they don't sound as good. Adam is a singer. He's a tenor. He has had these moments where, and I've heard him do this while he's practicing, he can't sing those low notes, but can sing amazingly up high. And it's just, it was sad because I'm like, oh, he could have done it. And they didn't take advantage of it. So, I mean, as long as we're talking about the different musical numbers, what did you think of, I guess it's the third musical number. It's the tap dance scene up on Mulholland Drive with the the sunset in the background. Do you, do you think that worked? I mean, that's, what, what do you think about the dancing? Um, I thought that it could have done more. And why anybody would tap dance on asphalt, I have no idea. Because <laughs> she wanted to take off her heels. And all she had was tap shoes. <laughs> 
she, they ruined those shoes. That's what gets me. It's like I could hear the metal on the bottom of the shoes scraping as they were walking on the asphalt. It just made me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> you could obviously tell they were trying to do a very singing in the rain style. He even swirled around the lamppost like Gene Kelly does in in the movie. But what it just made me want is Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. The choreography wasn't enough. It was very, very simple tap, very basic, and it wasn't very show-stopping to me. And I thought, again, they could have done more. For the target audience, I guess I assumed the target audience for this movie is the same audience that watches, you know, Glee and High School Musical and like whatever, is that are they going to be familiar with Singing in the Rain? Right. Just, but just then a why, devil's advocate, just throwing it out right, there. Right, but then why make it? If, if your audience isn't people who are familiar with the homage you're doing. Because it's something that, you know, you're, you can, you know, when you're in junior high, you can watch with your grandmother and you both at least get something. <laughs> But the, maybe the maybe I'm a little cynical, but I guess I'm totally looking at this as like producer singer room going, that, we can sell this. Is that what we can do this. was thinking when he, <laughs> when he created this? Well, but if you're going to if you're going to sell something, wouldn't you want to sell something that's awesome? If you think about the entire theme of the movie, he's trying to explain to everybody this, quote unquote, dying genre of jazz. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to show people how awesome this genre can be. Yeah. I feel like they lost some of their ability to do that even with the the musical show them a big showstopper give them a good dance your audience isn't gonna i mean they're gonna see oh okay that was nice or omg wow that was awesome why sell the audience short when you're trying to show them that this musical is just as good this genre is still good today kind of the way that they were trying to show jazz was too do you think that it was that what we saw was what was initially pictured, visualized, whatever, by the people who, you know, wrote it? Or do you think that this was changed by the business? You know what I'm saying? Like by creating it, by all of that. Do you think it got diluted? From everything I've read, I think it was the director slash writer's vision. This is pretty much what he wanted. Okay. Uh, Damien Chazelle, who also did Whiplash. Oh. No, I mean, I think this is exactly what he wanted, but I think maybe there was just some technical issues that they could have dealt with better. I mean, from the visual standpoint, I I personally don't have a lot of problem with it. I love it. I think it's beautiful, beautiful to watch pretty much from beginning to end. But I know you touched on that, Brianne, a little bit. It was the uh, observatory scene that kind of lost you. Yes. And I think it kind of goes back to you could see the CGI being used, right? In, in these old style genre movies, at that time, when they're going to have the big dance number, Ginger Rogers with Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly with... Um, Debbie Reynolds, like they take up the entire space that they use and they have these beautiful waltzing numbers or tap numbers and they take up the whole space. I mean, they're even like dancing off of walls with um, like Danny Kay um, and make them laugh. That's from singing in the rain also. And they use the entire space. So in the observatory, I was expecting them to kind of jump up on a ledge or maybe utilize some more of their dancing space. But it was a very simple waltz around the little compass thing. And then they go into the observatory and they start floating into the air, right? Which is very iconic for the movie, the musicals of the time. And so I could see what they were doing, but then it went very CGI. Yes. It was obviously in front of a green screen. And it's possible those weren't even the dancers. It wasn't even them dancing. Yeah, no, I was was 99% sure it was not them dancing. And that made me so sad because they could have easily done it in front of a star field or some lighted background and made it still awesome without needing CGI. It kind of felt like it went like pink elephants and Dumbo, where all of a sudden it felt <laughs> yeah. lifted out. Like you're like, mm, I, I was with you and now you kind of lost me and I don't really know exactly what's happening. And they didn't go far enough. Again, they just, they didn't commit to it. It felt like it was kind of like a visual medley throughout the movie of these musicals, but it didn't really feel like it was one of them. So just just enough so that you'd be like, oh yeah, I see what it is they're trying to do here, but it's not coming through for you. It reminded me of these other films um, and these other movies that I saw, but it wasn't like one itself. Like if you sat down and you were going to do a brainstorming session about what this, you know, what items you want to pick up from older films and then what can we use with the technology and things we have today to kind of do that. And so that opening sequence, the things we liked the most about it was that it definitely was a nod to the older big numbers that you're used to seeing. Um, like you were talking about all the um, choreography and all the people involved in the, but then taking the technology and kind of doing those long single shots or what felt like long single shots, it, it was very impressive. And so that was big. They went big. 
and then it petered out right. after that. It's like they just didn't commit. And I can see that. I feel like it's just like everybody put it down. I was like, okay, let's do one of those like dreamy, like little kind of, you know, whatever type numbers. Okay, well, what should that look like? Okay, well, I had this idea of like these silhouettes or or maybe it would be bigger than this, but we don't really have time or the budget or the training time or whatever <laughs> we need to do it. So why don't we just make it a silhouette and then you don't know if it's them or not. It's, you know what I'm saying? It ended up being yeah. kind of half-assed. Yeah. And I agree with you. That's exactly how I felt when I saw that scene. And then it was after that point, I was just kind of like, eh, <laughs> throughout the rest of the yeah. movie because I was kind of let down. Yeah. I feel like, at least for me, is I feel like they maybe then went to leaning on Emma Stone and, and Ryan Gosling, like, personality-wise, kind of carrying weaker parts. You know, I, I guess I think of Emma Stone as being kind of this charismatic female character they like to cast and, and where she's very comfortable in her own skin. She's very comfortable, like, looking geeky or, or you know, kind of putting herself out there and, um, and, and flopping on purpose, you know, or doing something that's a little out of the ordinary. And so I liked these little nods, you know, from early on when they show them together of her, like, making fun of him when he's in the little 80s band and, uh, like, really getting into it and dancing and all of that. All right. I remember you. And I'll admit I was a little curt that night. Kurt? Okay, I was an asshole. I can admit that. Okay. But requesting Iran from a serious musician is just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. Can I borrow what you're wearing? Why? Because I have an audition next week. I'm playing a serious firefighter. So you're an actress. I thought you looked familiar. Have I seen you in anything? Uh, the coffee shop on the Warner Brothers lot. That's a classic. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're a barista. And I can see how you could then look down on me from all the way up there. I'm done. Next set. He doesn't, I don't, he doesn't tell me what to do. He just told you what to I do. I know, he, I let him. What's your name? Mia. Mia. Guess I'll see you in the movies. Well, and I had a question though. So in that scene, obviously he's standing there with his horrible 80s outfit and mm -hmm. he, holding a keytar, which by the way, he did not put down the entire time, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but what was wrong with Iran? I think just because it was so simple for him to play. I was going to say, yeah, it's just like, you know, chord, 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 chord. <laughs> Where he's like sitting there looking at her and like pressing one key at a time. Yeah. Like, then like two or three keys in a row. I think, I think the sheer it. fact that he's playing a keytar is enough for him to be angry. Oh, definitely. The <laughs> oh, keytar, I'm sure he's probably not in a huge into 80s music. No. No, no, no. If you notice, then all of a sudden he starts playing the electronic piano thingy Maduger synthesizer within the messengers, which I found is kind of an interesting pairing where he hated it then. And then when he's playing on stage with the messengers, now he's playing this other electronic sound again and he's okay with it. There. No, no, but I don't know that he's okay with it. I think that's the whole point is that he's not and that he sold out because he overheard one conversation she had with her mother. And clearly, like this is this is the thing, right? In any kind of uh, movie that has a romantic storyline where you're keeping characters apart, it's either something physical keeping them apart or it's got to be something like psychological that's right. keeping them apart. And so as course it is that he overheard some conversation she had with her mother where she was defending him and he felt bad that he didn't have a steady job and wasn't, you know, whatever, pursuing, you know, actually making um, strides uh, towards his his dreams. So he took it on his own, you know, to be like, you know what, I need to do this. Like, I need to step up and here's this opportunity for me to make money. And so I'm going to do this for her, even though she didn't ask me to do it. And I'm going to cling to it enough that I can throw it in her face when she's like, hey, dude, what happened to your dream? See, I don't I didn't actually take that from that part of it. I actually feel like he did enjoy it at some point that I think there was an element of him that actually had fun with it once he was on stage. Cause if you look at him, he was smiling. Right. And he wasn't really the, cause she was giving him the look of WTF. Like, what are you doing? And he kind of was like, okay, I can kind of see it's not as bad. And I think he started to understand what John legend was trying, was doing was he, he, I mean, made a good point that you're playing jazz to people who aren't going to embrace it. And so giving it a new twist could possibly encourage others to be interested in the genre. And I think that he was kind of embracing that. So then when she threw it back in his face during the conversation at dinner, I was kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what, this is what artists do. And they kind of get their foot out there. They try new styles. They try new things. But ultimately at heart, they come back to where they were before and what they're, where their heart and their love falls in a lot of artists artists that are true to who they are they do come back to where they're at but in that conversation that dinner table conversation he specifically says that he's not going to come back 
to, to play the jazz that he wants to. He says, she's like, well, you're going to be on tour. And he's like, yeah, we're going to be on tour to make a record. And then go we're going to go on tour to sell the record, right? And so on forever. He's like, this is it. But that didn't mean he wasn't going to. She wanted him to do it right away. And he was thinking, okay, I've got a couple more years of doing this in which then he would come back. I guess I know a lot of musicians that that's not uncommon for people to do. Which is what he does, right? That yes, is kind of what he does. because she pushes him. Because she's gone at that point, right? No, she's I know, but I think, so this is the take that I had on it is very different. Uh, the take I had is that he did this begrudgingly and he has that conversation with John Legend, which what, with what you just said, where, you know, it's like, oh, here, you know, you got to put this spin on it, you know, otherwise people aren't, you know, to get people in there. And I think that's true. And I think he does give a little and grow a little. And I think that portion of it, he does enjoy. But by the time they have the concert that where she's in the crowd giving him the WTF look, I think at that point it's transformed and it's gone further than he wanted it to be. Now you have choreographed little dancers up there. You have, you know, it's, it's gone back to what the thing he loved the most about jazz is it was different every time. And you could do that where you're expanding and in- introducing this technology, but now it's become something that's packaged. And it's enough that you can have little packaged little dancers up there doing a little number. And I think that part of it now starts to feel like I, I, when he was smiling, I felt like it was a shame smile. Like totally like, a, yep, I know. Yeah, it's I, kind of a sellout thing. I saw it more of a sort of, aren't you proud of me sort of smile. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm up here. I'm glad you came to the show. Like, I'm doing it. I'm doing what he perceives her to want him to do. Maybe a little bit of both of that, like what you're describing, but yeah, definitely not that he was that he was like thrilled with what he was doing, that it was a, this is what you do when you suck it up as an adult and you do what you need to do to like have right. a steady, steady and another job. Thing, another thing I made a note of. What? No. You could do so many things with your life that weren't music. And there's our executive producer, Adam Gubeski, who's been creeping in the background this whole time. Sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> but you could do so many things with your life that weren't music, right? He could have gone and like waited on tables like all the other musicians out there. He could have gone and been a barista like she was doing. He could have like gone and got an MBA because he decided his dreams were crushed. No, he's literally on stage playing music. Yeah. He's growing up. Yeah, no, but I mean, that's what he right. says, yeah, though, at the says, dinner yeah. table. He says that he, this is but what that he's, he has a steady. Trust, I don't think you can trust what he says at that in that argument because he's trying to win that argument. Yeah, it's no. no longer about how he actually feels. It's about him trying to best her. Perhaps, but I still think that he knows that he is sold out further than he wanted to, that he's not doing what he originally set out to do. And he feels uncomfortable with where he's at. Maybe maybe there's elements of it that he likes, but I don't believe that he is loving what he's doing. I think he is uncomfortable with where he's ended up. One of the notes I made was that while he's on stage playing the solo and everyone starts, all the women start cheering for him, he's literally playing with one hand and his other hand is in his pocket. Yeah. I think that's kind of to tell us like, okay, he's not really being challenged as much as he could. But I mean, we're all adults, right? Like we understand it. So I don't know. That's why I thought it was a, I kind of bought that whole dinner table scene right Me because too. i could see both sides of the story it's mm-hmm. like yeah he is growing up and you know doing this and getting money and to some extent being satisfied by it like he's at least do you know playing music he is at least playing music and he's on stage and there's a component of it but like he does definitely feel attacked or you want to say with her saying well what happened what happened to your dream that level of defensiveness means that he has to feel some of that somewhere too what gets me is she's an artist also and for me this isn't like this happened over years this is only a couple of months yes so he was on stage in summer and then all of a sudden it turned to fall so it's not like this was like three or four years this is only a couple of months that he's been a part of this group sometimes when you're an artist and you know even as an actress right she was doing some of those auditions that she was going forward, not things she wanted to do. And I think what was hard for me to take as being an artist myself and and being a, a performer was like, wait, this is what people do to get themselves at least started moving forward. Sometimes you just got to get your foot in the door. And I think he was feeling defensive because he's like, well, wait, what? Like pot calling kettle black, <laughs> right? And I think she was also upset because she was taking that opportunity to expand herself. So I think she was projecting also some of her own frustrations onto him because she's now taking chances. She got away from that where he's now going towards it. She's branched out to do something on her own and she's feeling like she's progressing and he's regressing. And I think that was a big part of it too, to see that the growth from her getting frustrated with him. And then the fire alarm goes off, which I thought was extremely ominous. 
<laughs> I thought I thought their use I thought I thought their use of abrupt loud sounds <laughs> throughout oh, yeah. the movie was I, I understand what they're going for. Watching it at home, I found it extremely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like the car honking? <laughs> the car honking, the the smoke detector alarm, and there was a couple other things that were just kind of like significantly louder than than everything else that had preceded it. And then, you know, then it dies away. And then you're like, oh, now I've turned everything back up because I can't hear what they're saying. See, you and my cat, Marin, do have something in common. <laughs> one she thing. She really this, hated this, the smoke this one alarm. Thing. <laughs> well, and it went on for a very long time. And I loved its inclusion. I totally liked that it, you know, that broke the scene and, and, and gave it kind of this ending point, this finality. Right. I, I totally understood what it was there for. It just it was, a little, it was a little loud. And now I'm officially old because yeah. I said that. So I don't, I, I guess overall, I, are we really disagreeing? I'm not sure we're disagreeing that much about any of it. I think they're both going towards their professional dreams, right? In one way or another. And maybe it seems like Ryan Gosling is getting farther away from it, but... Well, I, I think I didn't. I felt like she was understanding of what he was doing until he said it was going to be years and that he might not come back. Right. I don't think she really gave him a hard time, hard time about it. Like she kind of asked some questions and trying to, you know, because clearly they hadn't had the where are we going, where is each of our paths taking us conversation in a little while or whatever. By the time you get right. to hit this dinner conversation, and that's and so when he says when he indicates that this isn't something necessarily he's doing just temporarily. That then she kind of yeah, is like, hey, that, that is doing? the argument, right? Yeah, that's the argument they're really having is, well, we're going to be apart now, right? Unless somebody changes what it is they're doing. And I don't think either of them were willing to change at that moment. Nope. No. And I think that's where it was the biggest struggle is that neither of them were willing to bend. They were both steady in their courses going away from each other. Which is exactly the thing that ends up killing their relationship in the end. It just now flips. Where she's, right. she's going right. away and he's now decided to stay there and set up camp and they're each pursuing their dreams. And it is a little bit more uh, true, you know what I'm saying, where it's like truly in line with what their dreams had been individually been. But neither one of them willing to compromise that or make any changes to that leads to them being apart. Tear. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just felt like something really cheesy needed to be said I, after do, that. Brand, do you feel, <laughs> Brand, do you think that's a good idea for to have this sort of story underpin your old style musical? Well, it's kind of funny because at first I was thinking that, no, the storyline is too modern, but it's actually very, it really does pair well with a lot of the old time musicals. So I think of like the musical Singing in the Rain. The movie's about a starlet, a young actress trying to make her way in the world. And then she meets this actor who's part of the silent film industry and now that you're getting the quote unquote talkies, his genre is dying out. And so she meets him. And while he's trying to kind of get into this modern world, she's already kind of making her way up in the world. So it's very, it pairs very well, this movie, La La Land, compared to like Singing in the Rain, where you're talking about different, you know, more modern twist, but it still has the same elements of the movie itself and the storyline from what we've seen from the previous musicals, which I kind of, I appreciated that. Um, that aspect of it. I thought that the movie itself, without any music, was actually a decent movie. The storyline was fine. I enjoyed that part of it. Well, and I liked it too. I mean, if you're going to do bittersweet Ingrid Bergman getting on the plane at the end of the movie, if you're going to do that, <laughs> then I feel like there has to be something, I don't know, something uplifting in there. And um, that where they each end up by the end of the film, they would not have been there except for each other at some point, right? right. I mean, obviously the really big demonstrative thing is that he goes and gets her when she literally like quits the business and goes home to her parents house and he comes and gets her and says no no no, you have this audition and like you know pushes her you know physically drives her there um to do it and then similarly i feel like you know with the direction he's going for better or worse even if he likes part of it or not but it is kind of deviating from from what his original dream had been and her kind of questioning that and 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 asking about it does push him to say you know what i'm gonna stay here and i'm gonna figure my stuff get my stuff started here um and you know eventually leads to him having having the club that he's talked about for years what did you so with the fact that they end up not apart we've decided to go with the bittersweet ending but they do indulge in a lengthy like much longer than i thought they would take a lengthy alternative history alternative alternative um yeah history i guess is the is the best word i want to use saw it referred to as a, a dream ballet Almost. And I guess there's other musicals that have done sort of similar things where it's the less 
realistic filming, right? With mm-hmm. the sort of art in the background mm-hmm. and less literal. This part angered me so much. Oh, really? <laughs> Because finally, so I was talking about how the previous parts, I was angry because of the CGI or not angry, but it just, they weren't committing. Sure. All of a sudden now you have a scene where they're doing it. That was the movie I wanted to see. The movie, not maybe not necessarily them physically being on stage, but still the concept where she's in the big waltz dress when they're doing the, the dance scene amongst a star field. That wasn't CGI. That was them all the dancing numbers and the people singing around them. And the, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the, that's the musical I wanted. (laughs) Like that level of artistic concept I wish would have been carried out at the beginning. So it kind of made me mad. It's like, Oh, well we could have done it, but we decided not to. (laughs) It's what kind of bothered me towards the end. Or they, or they, or they felt like it was too, I mean, the way that they did, it was very dream sequency, a little bit more two dimensional. uh, Yeah. Surreal avant-garde, even a little moments here and there. So it's funny because I didn't think about the fact that they were really leaning more heavily on kind of old school musical techniques in the way that they were doing it. I was more thinking just about the fact that they even just show you this alternative history, you know, like what the, in terms of the story, but yeah, there's both of those pieces at work. And this leads into, (laughs) uh, I got, Many angry texts from Adam after he watched this movie. <laughs> and I'm glad Bran managed to uh, say, save it all for the podcast. I think she might share some of these uh, thoughts. But I mean, that whole scene, I think the purpose of it is to say, well, you. no, yeah, like this is the way <laughs> this is the way old style musicals were the scene. Right. And this is connected to them being together. Right. But that's not what's happening in this story. Oh, you mean storyline-wise? Yes, do you mean... it's the connection of that musical act to the story. It's saying, this is not what's actually happening, and this is exactly like your old-style musical. What's actually happening is like this new thing we're making. So we'll give you some of this, but only in a dream sequence. But this new thing they're making... Sorry, I gotta talk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the new thing they're making is... The impression, <laughs> the impression I got was that on some level they wanted to be like, Here's an old style movie, but with like a modern sensibility, like things don't necessarily work out the way we want it to, right? This is a more realistic take. Except I don't feel like that's new at all. (laughs) Right. So A, I don't feel like that's new at all. I agree with you on that. And B, we're shown that Emma Stone's character, Mia, doesn't seem to be that great an actress and is horribly naive about the business. And yet somehow she's like five years later is this mega star, despite the fact that there's no real reason why any casting director would have gone to that show in the first place, or they would have built a character around her. Like they already decided they wanted this no name person there. And then meanwhile, like uh, Sebastian gets to open the club. He's always wanted to open like that's somehow realistic. Like they like, it's like they tried to like be like, Oh, we're more realistic, but this scenario they concocted wasn't really any more realistic than any other scenario. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I agree with you with the Emma Stone character that like it, it enough is given to us that we agree that she's a good actress, but we know that that's not really how Hollywood works and that you're not just going to get your big break movie made just for you from somebody I seeing agree, you once. But the premise that they were trying to say this is one thing is more realistic than the other. That is not at all what I took away from it at all. Okay. I didn't think it was that this is more realistic, like we're showing something more realistic than what was shown to you in, in older musicals, because I feel like things not working out happen in older musicals too. Okay, like sure. that bittersweet ending yeah. absolutely happened. So I didn't feel like this was new or that they were even trying to say it was new. I think they're just saying, hey, these people helped each other out. They And for me, I thought the alternative ending was to show this was everything she was, or even both of them were thinking or feeling during that moment when he played this song that was clearly something special to them. And it was reflecting on the fact that one conversation they have um, before she goes off to Paris and he decides to stay or whatever, where she says, I will always love you and he says yeah me too or whatever something that's yeah. far less romantic in yeah. return like yeah ditto but um <laughs> <laughs> something like that but to, to say you know like the that there's still a spot in each other's hearts or whatever minds lives and that you just got to see it for a second that's how i saw it and in terms of how it was done i felt like that was the nod that brianne you said you found frustrating the way in which they told it was giving kind of like this this taste of older musicals whatever in the delivery of it but storyline wise it made it made sense to me 
But so then why make this movie at all? Like, what's the point of this movie? Because no one's done it. That's it. I mean, yeah. why but make see, it? Why make Inception? <laughs> right, but but uh, see, it has been done. There are mu- musicals out there that have been made. Look recent at recent movies. No, no. What's what's a what's a what's a recent musical that's been done with any kind of newer technology incorporated? Into the Woods. Um, you've got Moulin Rouge. That's not even actually yeah. as modern, but you've got Moulin Rouge. Yes. Um, Les Misérables. Um, which is is done. Uh, Rent. Um, not necessarily newer technology. Man of the Opera. But- so I'll, I'll definitely thing- give you. I'll definitely give you Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Moulin Rouge is what I thought this was trying to be and just didn't do as good of a job. Right. Do you think the other ones are really trying to modernize something that already exists, or are they just adaptations of, of musicals? I think... Well, hold on. Do you think this is trying to modernize that style of film? Yeah. I Well, the reason I say that is because I think the director has said that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that it succeeds at that. Okay. I think I think there's a way to modernize musicals Right. I mean, we have musicals that are coming out. That's why we have the Tony Awards. Oh, absolutely. Yes. People are still out there. Right. I think it's just that if this was going to kind of enkindle that love of the original musicals, I don't think it did it. Oh, I don't I don't think it was successful, but I think that's what they were trying to do. I think I agree. I think that's what they were trying to do. And it was sad because I feel like they didn't succeed until the very end of the movie. And then it was like, why you could have done that the entire way through. And I think they could have made it successful. Even playing on the artistic drawn backgrounds, like honestly, they could have done something along those lines. And I think it still would have worked. They just had to commit to it. And we sh- they showed they could do it, which made me sad. <laughs> yeah, I think you're getting at one of the potential problems of this movie is that it's almost like two or three different movies. I just feel like it's not even, I feel like it's just uneven. They did a really good job in the beginning. And they yeah. did a decent, uh, actually, a, I would argue, a really good job at the end. And then just kind of lost a little bit in the middle. Right. The middle was very story heavy, as it should be. But and if relied you relied more on the acting and I think didn't succeed as much in the musical aspect. Yeah. But I mean, if you're if you're the artist and you're looking at these things and you maybe have a love of musicals, you have this, but you really don't want to do just that. You want to do something that's kind of like a smattering of a whole bunch of things. And you kind of, you know, feel like, OK, if I do this, it'll be an homage because I do parts of it where... Up front, it's very, very traditional classic. And at the end, we do it almost like a little dream sequence. And then we have a nod to the whole like floaty whatever thing. And even if they didn't do kill it the way that we wanted them to, they, each of those ideas is there. It's not terrible. It's just the, the execution, I feel like, was maybe like 80% of what it needed to be. I see. Right. Like 75, 80%. Like the elements were there. And like you said, Brian, like the story wasn't terrible. The story was good. The theme behind a lot of this also is to show that, okay, we can live in this musical world if we wanted to, which is how the beginning of the movie started with the bright colors, the technicolor, the huge choreographed dance sequences. And then if you watch, everything just kind of bleeds out. And maybe that was intentional. If you even look at the colors, right? So the start of the movie was bright, vibrant, primary colors. They were wearing solid color dresses. And the only person or people that the colors changed for was Emma Stone's character and Ryan Gosling. She started wearing patterned dresses. She started wearing neutral clothing. He was going back more towards his neutral clothing. And they were the only ones. And then if you looked, all of a sudden, I realized that the colors weren't really as vibrant anymore. Yes, it was like this big, huge musical sequence that became very real life. And I'm wondering if maybe they did make that choice. Oh, absolutely. that is something they chose to do all the way through. And at the very end, pop it back. They popped it back to show you, Oh, FYI, this isn't a musical. This is still real life. And so that was kind of hard because I'm like, but I want to live in a musical. (laughs) (laughs) Growing up, I always wanted to live in a musical. So, you know, yeah. And they constantly, uh, I think the most used color in this movie is blue. I think Emma Stone is constantly wearing blue. Almost every single outfit she wears. There's certain times that she doesn't. There's, there's the, very specific scenes like the the yellow yeah. dress that she wears, right? Yeah. Or there's another she's green in dress. She's white a lot. She's in white a fair she's amount. She's in white too. a lot. Yeah. I think in the middle of the movie, Ryan Gosling and her are both in white. Well, he's he's almost always in like a white shirt mm-hmm. of, or, you know, a cream color, like, but the definitely lighter colors, whatever, dark slacks. And then uh, inexplicably, like almost like spats. Right. But then they'll <laughs> use filters too to project colors onto that white clothing so there's almost always color everywhere in this movie what i thought was also interesting is that in that piano scene 
where she's wearing the blue dress. Mm -hmm. He's wearing the exact same color blue blazer. Yes. And they are the only two in that room that are wearing that primary color. It's kind of like they're in their own little world. And then it kind of bleeds from there. Um, And in like the uh, dinner scene, it's backlit green. Um, And so I don't know if that's green with envy or green with, you know, that they're envious of each other's paths or whatnot. But I did feel like lighting itself um, was very iconic of the musicals, the mm-hmm. spotlights, the blacking out behind the person. Those mm-hmm. are all techniques used on the stage, which I also thought was really clever, too. Yeah, I liked that a lot. And both her apartment and his apartment had different colors for each room, although I think hers might have been painted initially and his was just different projections of different colors. Like if you actually see it during the daytime, it just goes stark white. But in some of those nighttime scenes, like the kitchen is green, the living room is red, and near the piano is, I don't remember what color it was. It was kind of a pinkish color, I think, when they were sitting at the piano with the clip that you played. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually kind of liked that. Um, And I I just comically on my own, I liked that his apartment, I felt like was a relatively accurate uh, portrayal of a single male's apartment. (laughs) And that it was incredibly sparse and during the day was just stark white. There was like one small picture, like awkwardly small for the wall hanging Mm -hmm. above his bed. You know what I loved is the, uh, the clock. Did you see the clock? I missed the clock. Oh, it was like maybe about five inches wide. Uh-huh. Like just taking, like there's nothing on the wall except this clock. <laughs> this tiny this clock. really, really tiny <laughs> non-digital clock. Perfect. <laughs> what I also liked about that, that apartment too is that it was very much a single male musician. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. And a stool, yeah. The piano, the music strewn everywhere with instruments just often whatever way, I mean, that is so iconic of musicians that I have seen, especially ones dedicated to a specific um, style of music like he was, which then cleaned up when she came in, because then everything all of a sudden, again, straightening out his life, making everything very uniform. He kind of lost that element of his musicianship like he did, at the be- like he had at the beginning. Also, side note, and this is just me, maybe I'm just a spoiled brat, but when she does her one woman show and all of like six people show up to it. Where the hell were her parents? If it is a one-day drive from Nevada <laughs> to L.A., wherever, and uh, yeah, and your your daughter, who's like aspired to be an actress her whole life, has a one-woman show, don't you think you drive your ass out there and see it? Good. If it was wasn't it called Goodbye Boulder City, like it could have been about her so parents long. too. Oh, so long Boulder City. Maybe it's like she said awful things about her parents, and yet she goes home right afterwards, <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> Which, by the way. They didn't even, the, the theater didn't even like put the name of her show on the marquee. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like it was blank. Theater. All they had yeah. was her handwritten note saying <laughs> one night only. Which I have to say, I felt like that part was relatively realistic. Like, let's say you do get to produce your one woman show. Like, it's going to be at some little tiny theater that's like where there's no money and you only get to do it for one night. And like, I don't know if that many people show up, you should probably be happy. <laughs> uh, so as far as the... The talent in this movie, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. I looked up how they actually rehearsed for this, and I guess Ryan Gosling never played piano before this. Okay, I mean, he's I assume, learned, I assumed yeah. he's not playing the whole time, like at no, all. No, he's playing the entire thing himself. Well, he only learned one song. Exactly, he learned like two or three songs and practiced them over and over and oh, over. Okay, well, that's actually better than I thought. I just assumed I mean, that when they would pan from him down to his hands, it was just somebody else's hands. No, no. He wanted the realism in that sense. <laughs> I wanted to see it cut, and it never did. But I think for the most part, it says, at least the trivia says that he, he sat there and practiced for three months, like two hours a day or something. And even though that wouldn't seem like enough. It's just when he's not working People said they abs. were really jealous of how quickly he was <laughs> able to at least pick up that. But I mean, I don't think he knows how to play anything else necessarily. But apparently they did get dance lessons. They did get singing lessons. for, But I guess only like three months is about the time they had from casting until until actually shooting. Right. Which if it's only three months, I mean, and you have a whole bunch of other stuff that you've got to learn, right? Oh, yeah. They're not going to make things very difficult for someone to learn in that short amount of time, which is why I think that dancing wasn't as a high bar as as I was wanting it to be. Yeah. I mean, with older musicals in general, you know, those people were trained dancers. Like, they spent their lives Absolutely. doing that. And so, of course, they were impressive. Right. Right. So then if we think that they didn't do the best job out of anybody who do we think could have done a better job in those roles i actually so i've been thinking about this because you actually asked me this um and i was thinking trying to call your bluff i know (laughs) the big person that i could have seen playing this role and would have done both an amazing job dancing and an amazing job singing was um anna kendrick oh yeah i thought about her too 
because she's about the right age. She's in Pitch Perfect, or all three of them. Um, she also plays Cinderella in the musical Into the Woods on TV, which does an amazing job with that, too. I mean, her voice is phenomenal. She's got such power. Yeah, I was going to say, she she would have been a much more powerful singer for the role. Correct. Well, and if they were to have written her music, that actually could have. <laughs> yes. She could have shown that off. Um, but she would have just been a more supported sound, I think, than um, Emma Stone. And I think a very good dancer. But I think Emma Stone is a dancer. Because she definitely did better at those dancing moves than Ryan Gosling did. I would agree with you on that. And then the guy that I was thinking to play in that role was actually Chris Pine. Really? Yes, because he also sang the prince in Into the Woods. Which, by the way, I'd like to say, so many phenomenal vocalists in that movie. The talent's out there. And Chris Pine shocked me when he played the part of the prince. Oh, he had an awesome voice. And he can dance. At least he could in the musical. So actually those two pairings, I think, would have been a really interesting and kind of a really neat pairing for this movie. I didn't realize that Chris Pine could do that. I, I didn't either. I obviously yeah. didn't, didn't I've see I enjoyed him rendition. as an actor, mm-hmm. actually, recently, too. I w- didn't think much of him initially, just because, like, oh, it's just, you know. Miscellaneous attractive guy? Exactly. With, but... I wish we'll say, though, that every time that man gets, you know, billed in something, I feel like his eyebrows should also be individually billed, because they are <laughs> they are outrageous <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> They're enormous. Just a little sidebar. <laughs> Which means he could have emoted this very well. <laughs> yes, he would have known exactly when he was surprised, when he was sad. <laughs> if you're talking Anna Kendrick and Chris Pine, I guess that's probably big enough. But if you see, if you don't know what movie you're going to go see, and it's Christmas time, right? And it's a musical. You're like, oh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, right? I know who they are. They're both attractive people. I want to go see that movie. I think that could have been part of the reason they were cast. I, 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 would, I would have to people. think that that's, that was... The like only reason, reason that they were cast. Or stack up your show with those vocalists, right? Because yeah. a lot of the people that do Broadway, or even just the entire opening number, all of those individuals had better voices, or at least they had music written that they could excel in better than Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, and had more music that would have been like, oh, her friends singing to her about how crazy she is for doing this one woman show, right? You're crazy for trying to do this. Or her mother singing to her, right? You could have brought in someone like Meryl Streep or um, uh, even Nicole Kidman, who have these phenomenal voices, and they could have sang some sort of a number at her, um, you know, about something along those lines. His sister could have had an amazing voice and sung towards him. So they didn't have to only use them. So we could have built it up with a whole bunch of other big name stars that can sing. That would feel awesome in that it's a good musical number we'd like to listen to. But would it feel tacked on from the story standpoint? Well, well, that's just it. Is that that's exactly what they would. Have, it would have had to have been written that way. You're right. It wouldn't with the way that it was written. It wouldn't have paired into this. Um, but I think that that would have been better if you wanted to have a good homage and you really wanted Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, then bo- boost up with some of those other character actor or the other actors and make them look good. Kind of like what they did with the uh, roommates there at the beginning. I just think about like Moulin Rouge with Nicole Kidman and Ian McGregor. Now, granted, those two actors are older now. They wouldn't have been able to play this part. But had this movie been written at that time, they would have been the perfect two people. And yeah, and that's and that's what I when we were talking about whether or not this was a successful homage or or looking at doing an older style musical, but doing it, you know, with kind of a, a modern a modern take. Like I felt like Moulin Rouge was a very successful rendition of it. And I also want to just point out that while I'm saying that, I actually didn't like it. Like I did not, and not because it wasn't done well. It was done incredibly well. It was executed beautifully. I just didn't enjoy it. Hmm. And so, um, so, but I recognize that it was, it was well crafted and that you had talented people, you know, like you said, playing to their strengths and being showcased really well, then that made it still talked about. And how many years later, you know what I'm saying? Like it made it incredibly successful. I guess for me, um, the thing I keep coming back to in comparison to this movie is The Artist, the 2011 Best Picture winner, the, the silent French film. Like, that's a movie that, like, in some ways had that similar feel of doing an homage to an earlier style. But the difference for me was that that movie committed to it, but not only committed to it, but actually had something to say about that transition from silent pictures to talkies and how... The artist felt, which ties in again to like saying in the rain, right? So it's not outside of this realm. But that's a movie that I felt was far more successful just because it showed that level of commitment in a way that this movie occasionally flirted with, but then it, it's like Damien Chazelle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's like he was either not actually interested in like doing that homage 
like that was just like his framework to hang the story he wanted to tell on or he like wasn't confident in his abilities to pull it off or something so he decided to like pull back to like a comfort zone for him but like that to me was the difference was just like and that like we talked about earlier right it was just the level of commitment as i think what makes an homage successful or not to a large degree and this just didn't have that I loved the artist. I thought it was a really, really great picture. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I will say how much money did it gross and how much money did La La Land gross? Because the thing is, is that the artist, you're not drawing newer, younger audiences, whereas I think this did. And so uh, that's, think- that's where I was. My cynicism was coming into play. No, no I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just worried about an argumentation that is about the bottom line. Oh no, I think, I, but I'm saying I think that maybe came in. That was that was the question I asked earlier about whether or not this was the original vision or if this got diluted by the business. I mean, everything I read ahead of time suggested that this largely was the original vision. Like this was the movie he wanted to make initially, and he got told no. Well, he actually they asked him to dilute things like change it from jazz music to rock music and stuff like that. And he actually said, no, I'm not going to do that. Went and did Whiplash instead. And then suddenly he had the, the clout, yeah, to make the movie he wanted to make here. So I, I don't think it's an instance of like studio interference, but that's just me. <laughs> so ultimately, Brianne, um, would you recommend that anybody sees this movie? Um, I don't think it was a horrible movie. So I recommend people watching it. But I would be leery on telling someone who has a very strong musical background or a love of musical theater, I would not suggest those individuals watch this movie because they're going to be as disappointed, I feel, as I would be. But for someone coming in who doesn't necessarily have that connection, I think they would thoroughly enjoy the movie. Um, So it's kind of a split, if that makes any sense. Totally makes sense because that's kind of how I walked away from it too. Yeah. So I'm like, if you're really, really committed to musicals, you're going to be underwhelmed. Especially since we have some of these musicals out there that really did land um, between Rent and Into the Woods and those big blockbusters that I feel like a lot of people really did gravitate towards and were done very well. They're going to feel like this one just didn't meet. So those that don't have that experience with those big, huge Broadway showstoppers, I think are going to really enjoy this movie for what it is. So, Brianne, thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for watching this movie. Hopefully, you got something. Sounds like you got something out of it, at least. But this is the part of the show where you've watched a movie you haven't seen, so now you get to recommend something you think the world should see. Um, I think the world should absolutely see the movie The Labyrinth. I think that's been suggested. Has it been suggested? It has, but that's <clears throat> fine. You want to suggest it? You can suggest it. There's yeah, no that's rules. Fine. <laughs> I just checked with the executive producer and he's totally cool with it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no way, because like sometimes people suggest two or three things and like there's no way we're going to say, make sure it's not on this list of a million things that people have said. No, that's fine. But I think that, like I said, I have an absolute love for anything music and especially some sort of artistry. And for me, The Labyrinth, I think, really fits into that. Um, And I think everybody should experience the amazing puppetry. And how awesome that movie was put together, both from an artistic point of view and from a musical standpoint. So that's my two cents on The Labyrinth. I thought you were going to suggest Singing in the Rain. I could suggest Singing in the Rain, yes. So that would be another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of, of the older style musicals, is Singing in the Rain your favorite? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> We've got time. I am definitely familiar with Singing in the Rain the most. Um, I also love uh, Holiday Inn and White Christmas, which are basically the same movies. But then also at that same time, you've got The Wizard of Oz. And I'd have to say, though, as far as the old time movies go, Singing in the Wind's Rain is definitely my favorite with Gene Kelly, um, Don Knotts and uh, Debbie Reynolds. And that movie is just uh, it's such a strong uh, history for me that, yes, I'd have to say that's probably one of my favorites. Yeah, I, it's funny. So I was going to mention White Christmas. So <laughs> whatever. She stole it, guys. Um, no, but White Christmas is something that I watch with my dad every year. And it's funny because my mom absolutely can't stand it anymore. Cause she's like, it's been too many times. Like, we just can't watch it anymore. But my dad and I watch it once a year between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, I love that movie. And I love that movie. I totally love that movie. Um, It's great. And I think the only part, the only part is the super weird, there's like one part in the middle of like the show that they're doing that's like the weird choreography, like odd part. I think it's the only part that I dislike in that movie. Otherwise, that entire thing is excellent. 
But if you think about it, that actually does pair very closely to a lot of those movies at the time because they always had that weird artistic. Yes, they element. did. I totally agree with you that it it's, it belongs there. It just bugs me, so we just skip over <laughs> oh, it yeah. now. Because if I'm going to watch this every year, we're skipping over the choreography scene. <laughs> and then we just uh, I can't think of the actress's name with her impossibly small waist, and you just gawk at. Yes. Does she have ribs removed? Like holy smokes, that's got to be like I don't know, 16, 17 inch waist, like. Oh. Yes. Like and that one is actually, of my legs. I believe it's corset, I think is what did that with her. Like she's just ridiculously skinny. And it just makes you feel bad for Rosemary Clooney for having to stand next to her. Oh, but she's got such an amazing voice. Oh, she does. No, Rosemary. Oh, I love Rosemary's amazing. The, yeah. The sing the song between her and Bing Crosby when they're singing the piano. Yeah. Um, 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 uh, count your count your blessings or um Yes. Yeah. My grandfather used to sing that to me. When I said my grandfather sounded like Bing Crosby, he used to sing that. And that was the song as like, oh, I love that song. <laughs> yep. Um, but if you want an interesting twist, watch Holiday Inn because Bean Crosby plays the younger character. Because Holiday Inn is basically White Christmas. Mm-hmm. But Bean Crosby is younger in okay. that one. All right. So it's a very inter- it's weird to watch Holiday Inn and go, wait a second. I know this movie. <laughs> but uh, Well, I, I have a recommendation. But since Adam's on the show, I think we have a... Uh... A tradition of him <laughs> stealing mine if he wants to. Uh, yeah, so since throughout this movie, I frequently thought to myself, this reminds me of a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie, except I would rather be watching a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie. Uh, I think my, I'm actually going to suggest a pair of Fred and Ginger movies, and that would be Top Hat and Shall We Dance. Ooh, good ones. As, as movies to see instead of La La Land. <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not uh i'm not anti-musical at all because i feel like like the only comments i've made thus far like up until now i've just been like well i didn't like milan rouge and i didn't like like i live into this like i actually do like musicals but I, i'm just i'm just selective in, 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 in my musical watching though you're discerning uh, i'm not necessarily even saying this is a recommendation mostly just to make fun of myself um and my parents if they do listen to this episode will it will will want me to give a shout out to the fact that uh, I apparently watched Annie at least once a day, sometimes twice a day for like two years of my existence, <laughs> somewhere between the ages of like four and seven, that it was just, uh, yeah, like during that time, it was just constant watching and that uh, it, it, it hurt them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, what's funny is I did the same thing as a kid with Annie. It's 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 just it's the greatest. And I'm sorry, Carol Burnett is phenomenal. And to this day, like every now and again, little girls will trickle through my brain like with no prompting because she's she's amazing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Brian. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Charlie's shrugging at me. Yeah, <laughs> we usually say something funny at the end of the episode, but it's just mere coincidence. I don't got anything anymore. <laughs> Tanks run dry. <laughs> Well, I can I can just do this instead. You're gonna play the jazz, aren't you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Go out the way we came in. <laughs> There's I like the symmetry, Charlie. <laughs> That's the least I could do. Which is odd because it's jazz and there shouldn't be symmetry. Now <laughs> uh, if you reverse the track, that would be like a palindrome. <laughs> Taco cat. <laughs> Brought to you by Cinematic Respect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. And be sure to catch the next episode where we're uh, going to discuss another pop culture gem. Hope you really enjoyed it. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram to hear us discuss more movies and television shows that you really should have already been watching. So now we're recording, and we get to listen to my bit a third time. All you should all pretend like you haven't heard it before, and then Brianne can do her bit. Okay. We're gonna practice these bits, and we're gonna take it on the road, guys. At least he found out now instead of like forty minutes from now. Right. I'm like these waveforms look like they don't exist. Oh, yes. Okay. <sighs>